morning, Autumn Ridge. My name is Caleb Smith, one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you are here worshiping with us in the room, and welcome to those of you joining us online as well. Now, we've been in a series that we started here at the beginning of the year called This is Church, and it is an intentional move to remind us about what it means to be called the church and what it looks like for us to be a part of the body of Christ. How do we exhibit that both here and in our daily lives when we are not in this building? Uh, One of the ways that we've done that is literally through this logo, and you may not have been able to look at it up close, but all of the different colors that you may see on it are actually just pictures of this church, and it simply serves as a representation that we, as a community of faith, are representatives of the body of Christ. We also uh, had a few things that we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks as we started in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 reads, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We see Jesus's authority here in that God placed all things under his feet, and then we see what it means for him to be head over the church. He is head over everything for the church, which is his body. Head over the church means that Jesus is the source of our new life, our new status, our love, our unity, and our purpose. The reason why this is important is because we need to be reminded that it's not just us that are united through the power of the Spirit when we become believers. We are united with every believer that is in Rochester, no matter which church they worship in. That we are united with every believer in this nation and every believer around the world. We are all representatives of the body of Christ, both individually and even in a greater way, collectively. We are tied together in that. Now, I don't know how many of you know this phrase. Some of you may be literally doing this right now. How many of you know the idea of church shopping? Hands up. Who's done church shopping before? Yeah. You may have ended up here after doing church shopping, or maybe today is a moment of church shopping for you. You're trying to figure out, is this a place that I feel like I want to connect with? Church shopping is completely okay in those moments in life. We may have moments where we move to a new place and we're trying to find that community and that church community that we're trying to connect with. Maybe church shopping happens because we have a bad experience at one church and we are just feeling like that's not the place for us anymore and we want to go somewhere else. And though it is okay to switch churches, what is not okay is to look back at the people who attended the church you came from and to consider them as not a part of the body of Christ anymore. You are still united with them through the power of the Spirit. It doesn't mean you have to like them. (laughs) But you have to accept the unity that is there. This is the crazy part about what it means to be the church. As we talked about in the first week of this series, Jesus intentionally brought together people who didn't choose each other. And so you're probably in this room with people that you like and people that you don't like with people that you agree with and people that you don't agree with, with people that you know and with people who may be complete and total strangers to you. And that is literally the point of what it means to be the body of Christ. With Jesus as our source, we are united in a new life, a new status, love, unity, and purpose. And so the one thing that we wanted to highlight in week one was that church is not a place, it's a people gathered in a place. Church is not Autumn Ridge Church. We are an example of the church when we gather in this building and worship together. 
We are also representatives of the church when we leave this building. You still are the church. The second week, last week, we looked at this in Ephesians chapter 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it look like to exhibit unity in the church? Submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now, I personally, logically, if I just read this verse, I struggle with it. Like, this is like circular argument time, right? If you and I are sitting across the table from each other and a decision has to be made about something and I go, no, I submit to you, and you go, no, you, I submit to you, and I go, no, I submit to you, how do you ever arrive at anything? I don't think it's the practicality of how that plays out. I think it's the spirit that we enter into with. I think it's the spirit of my priority is to make sure that the person that I'm speaking with knows that they are valued, knows that I love them. No matter what decision we come up with, whether I make the decision and they don't like it or whether they make the decision and I don't like it, if we enter into it in a spirit of submitting to each other and in the unity of Christ, then we will walk out being examples and representations of what it means to be the body. It's a practical outworking of it. And so one of the things that we talked about is maturity isn't measured by how much we know. It's not about what grade you get on the next Bible quiz, but by how well we love. That's how our maturity in Christ is measured. How well do we love? How well do we love each other? And how well do we love those that are hard to love? Our serious thesis has been that there's no backup plan. This is another moment where Pastor Rick and I had a little bit of going back and forth on some things because I logically get stuck in there is no backup plan because in this, I think about it in my finite human brain. We were created inside of time and space. We were created by a God who created time and space. Wrap your brain around that one. There is no backup plan. Makes It could make it seem like that there is no backup plan, so we better get this one right. I better make sure that I do all of the right things and I say all of the right things and I act all of the right ways because if this fails, it's going down the tubes. But if that is my attitude towards God's plan, who's at the center of that plan? Me. Then it's all based on me. And what we know from Scripture over and over and over again is God's reminders to us that it is not about us, that he is the one who will restore everything, that he is the one who will accomplish this, that he is the one who will bring fullness to it, that it is the zeal of the Lord which will see this out. So it's not that there is no backup plan. It's that there is no need for a backup plan. There is no need for a backup plan because it was set in motion from the beginning of time. It is still perfect today, and it will come to fruition. Now, I get the enviable task of speaking to you about a topic today and another practice that shows what it means to be the body of Christ, uh, of, of a topic that, that is super easy to talk about. Uh, it really won't take a lot of time, and that is prayer. Prayer can really be summed, no, it can't, really can't. Did you know that actually in the Bible, there is no set definition of what prayer is? I challenge you, go read it, Genesis through Revelation. There is no set definition of prayer, and I think, I believe that that is very intentional. 
It's intentional because prayer is not something to be defined. It's something for us to lean into and practice. It is an example and a demonstration from the scriptures about what a relationship with God looks like. And prayer can look in a lot of different ways. Some of my favorite verses, James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I actually personally prefer that this would have started out in a different way. I wish it would have said, since all of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. But that's not what James decided to put. But when you lack wisdom, when you feel like you're not sure of what to do, ask. God gives generously to all without finding fault. Comfort, encouragement, challenge, all in one place. We also see this in Philippians. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I did the deep dives into the original Greek words on these words, anything and every and all, and they literally mean that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There are at least 650 prayers in the Bible. Everything from Abraham and Sarah back in the book of Genesis, in all of their years of infertility, there are moments of them crying out to God, asking him to give them a child. And then we have all of these moments from these women put in these situations in life where they are praying about the pregnancies that they're experiencing from Hannah in the Old Testament to Elizabeth and Mary in the Gospels. We have a prayer and a song that comes out from Moses' sister Miriam after the people have crossed the Red Sea and they are now safely on the other side, away from the Egyptian army. We have the prayers of Jesus, the moments in the Gospels where it says that he went off by himself to pray. We have the moments of recorded prayer when he, when he gives a prayer in John that goes over the course of like three chapters, you know, and in the Bible, that's a long time. But a prayer where he specifically prays for his disciples and his followers and believers about what it's going to be like for them to continue to live in this world and on this earth and the things that he wants them to run with, to lean into in their discipleship because he knows that he is going to not be there soon. Or the prayer that he says to his disciples. They've come to him. They are good Jewish men. They know what prayer is. They've been practicing it their whole lives. Every morning and every evening, every Jew would say the same prayer every single day. They'd wake up, they would say the Shema. They'd go to bed, they say the Shema. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy and Numbers. It was a staple part of their life. And they had these little moments of more prayers, of thanking God as they work with their hands, as they harvested in the fields, as they experienced their carpentry and their masonry and their trade, or when they were fixing food for their family. And they had constant moments 
of prayer and thanks being on their lips to God. But the disciples saw something different in Jesus. And so they go to Jesus and they say, can you tell us how to pray? Because it seems like the way that you're praying is different from the way that the other religious leaders are praying. And Jesus says to them, well, you can pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. See, I think sometimes we get caught up in trying to say the exact right words to God. I think we get caught up in the idea that if we, if we, we we've got to put words together and we've got to make sure that we say some big theological phrase. You know, you've got to like go get some theological dictionary, memorize a few words, and then just toss them into your prayer whenever it happens. And then God will listen to you and he'll think better of you because he sees that you've been studying and that you know big words. But if we learn anything from scripture, scripture on the demonstration of prayer, again, prayer is not specifically defined. And so if we learn anything from the demonstration, we learn about people who were simply honest with God. They engaged in opening their hearts and their minds and their spirits to telling him exactly what was going on with them. They knew that if they gave him all of their anxieties, if they told him about all of the things that stressed them out, if they told him about, the, about all of the things that drove them into depression, if they talked to him about the things that created the addictions that they were having and they couldn't get out of, if they thanked him and they were joyous over the things that were happening in their life, that in all of those moments, God was listening. There are times when it feels like God's not listening, though, right? There are times it feels like we, we say prayers, and maybe we've prayed for things specifically. Maybe you've been praying for a family member to believe in Jesus, and you've been praying for them for decades, and it hasn't happened yet. And maybe you wonder, is God listening What do we do in those moments? If we learn anything from Scripture, is that God can handle anything you have to throw at Him. Anything you have to say, anything you have to think, even if you're completely ticked off at Him. The psalmists are really good at this. The psalmists go as far as to get so deep in their anxiety that they say, it may have been better for me never to have been born. If God can handle that type of honesty, then he can handle whatever honesty you have to give him. Because one of the things that I think that we get hemmed in by in our limitations and the things that challenge us about prayer is that we think that from the moment when we say, dear Jesus, to the very end of amen, and then to the next dear Jesus, like we're not talking to him and he's not listening to us in between that. But that's not the demonstration that we get from Scripture. What we get from Scripture is that prayer is a singular conversation 
that is always happening with the creator. And whether you believe in him or not, he is listening. Whether you believe in him or not, when you cry out in your distress and you simply say in a dark place in your house when you don't know what to do, what am I supposed to do? You are praying. You are crying out. You are seeking help and clarity. I think for believers, the harder demonstration of prayer is not being joyful and thankful for the things that we have, but being joyful and thankful for when someone else gets something that we want. Do we also offer thanksgiving for the ways in which God is working in other people's lives? Are we also joyous about the ways in which he is challenging other people in their discipleship? I want you to hear a story. Her name's Elodia. We have a video we're going to show you in just a second. And Elodia is a missionary in Bolivia. We've been partnered with her as a church for many years. Uh, and she has a story of prayer uh, that we would love for you to listen to. My name is Elodia Justiniano, and I'm from Bolivia. I am a national missionary and I work with my husband uh, reaching the communities around Concepcion, an area from Santa Cruz. I work with the women. I make Bible study with them. Also, I teach them how to cook and how to do craft. And then I work with the children over there and we do BBS with the children. And also, we work with the community area, uh, taking the gospel to the schools uh, and also helping them with some material that they need. I'm Nathan Ramsey. I'm Kathy Ramsey. And I was born in Bolivia, South America. In 1953, my parents went to Bolivia, and I was born two weeks after they first got there. Um, they were called to go into Bolivia as missionaries. My dad's call was to go into the most remote area to meet, and when he got there to go to work, my mother's was to a specific tribal group called the Ayure. So today, Elodia is here in Rochester to have some diagnosis of a genetic disease that has plagued her family, going back all the way to when they immigrated from Brazil, from the Mato Grosso region. It has been a long time for generations that my family has been suffering of this. I have seen dying my uncles, my aunts, and my, I say, my mother, my cousin, because we are with this sickness and we don't know what is it and where it comes from. Up until this point, um, no one has gone to try to find out. They just were resigned to the fact that they were going to die with this horrible disease. It just, you know, breaks them down. Elodia's concern was for her children. She has two sons, and she has a granddaughter. She's gone and seen expert after expert, doctor after doctor in Bolivia, and they would just tell her, there's nothing wrong with you. Until she found a neurologist who said, you have a genetic disease, 
And, and I can tell you, I think it is this, but I can't do genetic testing. See if you can get to the United States. You know that that clinic is very expensive. So we did, with the mission, one appointment and and he asked for so many so many exams, and we were it, we couldn't afford to do that. So we asked for the pro bonos, and I say, so uh, the clinic we gathered all the material I say to get into, but the clinic, after looking at them, uh, it said no. We cannot take care of your case because there is nothing we can do and we are not going to spend money with, I say, a person that is not going to get a, I say, a benefit of it. So that was, I say, no hope. And I was going back to Bolivia without anything. We felt like maybe we might have a chance. But then we received a letter saying that uh, they had denied it because of the unlikely outcome of, a, of the finding a cure for her. That was a setback for us. Uh, we had already done a whole series of tests, but we lacked funding to do any more. And it was at that point that we were coming back for the missions conference and coming back for one doctor's appointment that we still had and not having funds to finish the other. And it was at that point that Otis had said, when Elodia is here for the missions conference, we want to pray with her and we want to bring her to the center of the room and everybody pray over her. November 13th was the prayer meeting um, on Sunday evening at, and it was uh, the ecclesia gathering in the chapel. And people were there um, to pray for, for many of the missionaries that are affiliated with the church, and um, also to pray for Elodia. So um, it, was, it was really an, a wonderful time of prayer. It was very moving. Um, to see Elodia come to the center and to be prayed over. And um, it's just, I guess for me, it was just a reminder of how amazing our God is and that, you know, what man decides um, is very temporal. What he decides is, is a sure thing. Okay, that was wonderful. That was something very special for, for me because you know that prayer is very important. And I say, everywhere they were praying for me, for my health. So uh, I say, when they told me that they were going to pray in Ecclesia uh, Sunday night, I say, okay, that is the most important thing that I can get. So I was so happy and so glad that I, they were going to pray for me. The next day, the Lord gave me my miracle. I was waiting for that. The clinic yeah, said, yes, we are going to take it. We are going to 
I say take you in the pro bono, it covers the exam and a diagnosis. The Lord has everything in his hands. It took me a long time to get to this point, but now I am there. <laughs> I know that the Lord is in control. couple of things that you may have picked up on. One is that she seemed most joyous in simply the knowledge and the experience of being prayed for. The other piece is that she actually didn't ask for healing. Though people in that room that night were praying for healing. Her miracle as she stated, was that she, she's on the road to getting answers. Because even she recognizes that it's not just about her. It's about her family. It's about everybody else. It's about her kids. It's about her granddaughter. Next Sunday night, we have Ecclesia in the chapel, Sunday night, 5.30. We would love for all of you to be there. We would love to have to move out of that room and come in here. But the point is, is there's nothing that's magical about Ecclesia. What is the mystery is the prayer and the experience of us coming together as a body of believers to lift up our request to God with thanksgiving. And knowing that no matter what is on the other side, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Because no matter what his answer is, he will guard us. Now, sometimes in the church, I've heard it said that God answers prayers in a yes, no, or wait. And though that can be helpful, I have found it more helpful what Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, has to say. He says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Would it have been amazing for Elodia to have been completely healed? Yes. Would it have been God-honoring? Yes. It is also amazing that the road that she is on now might have more to do than just her. It's not just her family, it's maybe the doctors and the technicians and the nurses that she's gonna be around throughout all of the testing that she's gonna go through. Maybe it is now this testimony of story that she gets to share about the power of God in her own life. But even deeper than that is the faith that she walked into, knowing that what was on the other side of that prayer was not the most important thing. What was most important for her was her relationship with her heavenly father and her creator. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter one, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
I keep asking. I keep requesting. I pray. Paul also writes to the, th- to the church in Thessalonica, I pray without ceasing. Well, what does that look like? How do you pray without ceasing? Because like the Bible gives us five physical postures about prayer, sitting, standing, kneeling, face on the ground, hands lifted up. Can you do that all the time? What I find interesting is also what's not mentioned. What's not mentioned is hands folded, eyes closed. I challenge you, read the Bible. You show me where it says that we're supposed to do this. It's not that that's bad or wrong because closing our eyes and folding our hands can absolutely be a help for some of us to be able to focus, to be able to get into a posture of prayer. But it is also a demonstration and a reminder that it doesn't matter how everyone else prays who believes in Jesus. It's that everyone is communicating with their creator, communicating with their savior, I mean, I'm pretty sure that Hands Together was created by a kindergarten teacher. (laughs) It is simply that we are to be in conversation with our perfect Father. And when we stop praying, when we, as Autumn Ridge Church, stop praying, and when we stop praying, praying for each other, when we stop praying for somebody else's needs, for somebody else's wants, for somebody else's desires, for somebody else's blessings in their life, when we stop doing that, we get separated. We've been talking about this diagram for a couple of weeks. We get into our tribes and we put up walls and we become fortresses within the body. And we start raising our flags and we start saying, nope, what I want, what we want is the most important thing. And one of the best ways, one of the best ways for us to break those walls down, one of the best ways for us to serve each other, to serve other people's preferences, to serve other people's needs, to be joyful for what God is doing in other people's lives, one of the best ways is through prayer. Those walls break down. We begin to lean into what it means to be a church of all cultures. Next week, we have a great opportunity for that. Some of you may have been here this past fall when Dr. Billy Russell gave us a sermon. Well, he's going to be back next week and helping to lead us in a worship style that some of us may not have ever experienced or be used to, African-American gospel music. Some of you may be like, sweet. Some of you may already feel nervous and awkward. Our choir is going to be up here. Pastor Ian is going to be partnering on stage with him. Our musicians will be up here. What I can promise you is it will be a raucous good time. But it is a style of worship that we want to say it's not about anything that we have preferences about. We have to have these practices of leaning into things that make us uncomfortable if they prop up somebody else's preference. And the act of prayer is a central part of practicing that. So what is the call of Christ on our lives about prayer? How do we pray without ceasing? Especially because most of us operate heavy machinery on a daily basis. Heads bowed, eyes closed, driving. Because it's all about the little moments.
It's all about the moments of sitting down and having food in front of you, a good time to remember and to pray because we should absolutely be thankful for every piece of food that the Lord brings to us. It's stepping into every moment and every conversation, and even if it's just a little of, God, just be with me as I am in this conversation with this person. God, help me as I, as I go into a task that I'm really unclear about and I'm kind of frustrated about and I don't know what to do. It goes all the way from those little moments on a daily basis, day in and day out, all the way to the things that cripple us. And the demonstration of Scripture is to open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits to the ongoing one conversation that we have with God. And so the bottom line today is this. Prayer is a mystery and an essential practice of discipleship. There is no end to the conversation about prayer. It is ongoing. There are things that make sense and there are things that don't make sense. And so there are parts of it that remain a mystery for us, but they are not a mystery for God. And it is an essential practice of discipleship. It is something that we must lean into. It is something that we must be. Because when we as a church become a church of prayer, we not only will be transformed from the inside out, but our community will be transformed and hopefully, potentially, the Lord takes us and we help to transform the world for his glory. And so as we close... Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all of them, all over the place, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know the love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.